This is the 18th portion of the year. Mishpatim. The Shmon Esra, right. Um, we have uh, four special Sabbaths. This is the first of the four. Um, they come right before Passover so that you can get in the mood of the holiday. Um, Shabbat Shekelim is today. Uh, where the half shekel was given by everyone. Shabbat Zakor is coming up in a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll be meeting for that one as well, where we remember Amalek. Then Shabbat Parah, because you need that, the ashes of that red uh, cow in order to be purified for Passover if you've come in contact with death. And then Shabbat HaKodesh, the first new moon of the year. So, I want to remember those and take advantage of the reminders that we have coming up of the holidays <coughs> that are almost upon us. Mishpatim is a, I think is a, is a neat portion. It's got, uh, it's got a mix of everything in there. This is, uh, this is the kind of portion that throws most of, uh, of the pastors and, and folks that are still uh, in the organized uh, expressions of our faith because these laws cannot be broken down into moral, civil, and ceremonial. They just can't be done easily. And uh, this chapter not unlike Leviticus 19 and many others, uh, is a highlighter's nightmare. If you're trying to choose, well, this verse must be ceremonial, and this verse must be moral, and so on. So, let's, uh, let's break this down as easily as we can. We begin in chapter 21 of uh, Exodus, or Shemot, uh, names. Mrs. Spurlock, please. So, I know that. Um, this, this is my daughter. <laughs> this, um, very oh, no, no, this is my daughter. This is my daughter. This is my daughter. Who's this woman? She's my wife. That's right, there it is. That's enough. <laughs> These first few verses about this, um, the man who's amongst uh, a servant and then his master, given a wife, he decides to stay. I know that, um, at least I'm pretty sure even in Judaism, I, the, the sages look at this as a negative, right? They don't think he should stay as, as a bond servant. But in Christianity, of course, the idea of a bond servant is like, you know, a good Top shelf. We're all bond servants, by the way. So anyway, I have always uh, wondered if it is a good thing or, or a bad thing, since there's you know two opinions on that. I, I always um, wondered. And as I was reading it this year, I was thinking um, that the the staying because um, of the life of the children, I think that is a negative. I think it's, he shouldn't do that because. Um, it, it occurred to me, and I, I might be wrong about this, but it seems to me like um, this man, he's working for six, but he's seven years free, right? 
assume he's working um, because he has to, as, as a servant, to make money to get out of debt, wh whatever he needs to do. And then at the seventh, he goes free. So, and then it seems like the master has, it, maybe, maybe he meets somebody in the, in the master's house, this woman, he thinks, I'd like to marry her. Um, as the master gets to him, and, but then it's like, well, when you go free, you can't take her, so you want to stay with her. And I think it's a negative because if he had just waited until he went free, he'd be a free man. And then he could marry her and he wouldn't have to stay as a slave. He could take her as a free man and it, 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 there's nothing there that makes him have to stay as a slave. He's not a slave. He's a free man and now he can take the woman and be a free man after that as well. And the thing is that um, it's, it's really it's a lesson of patience because the most he would have to wait is seven years. And it's really cool because God's talking to Israel and their ancestor had to wait seven years to marry his wife. So they're like, if you can't wait as long as Jacob did, twice as long. Right, then you'll have to be a servant for the rest of your life. But. I, I like it. It's got a lot of potential. The whole patience thing works. That's good. I, I do think the only flaw in your argument is that he says he the loves his mask. Oh, 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 oh. Relax a second. The only flaw in the argument is that if the woman, we, we are assuming that the woman given to the bond servant is in fact another bond servant. She's another woman in a, in a slave. A slave. If that's the case, he would not have the opportunity to. Marry her when he's free. Unless he purchases her. Now that's naturally. Now you've got now you've got an opportunity to talk about patience and redemption, and I think that's a better a better little sermon there. So he used to he used to work seven years plus another seven to earn. So that's good work. So now, Peter, your point there was about him loving the master. So he's staying out of love. Not out of compulsion. Right. So you're seeing that this is a this is a good guy and his heart is in the right place. Is I, that what it is? I think that, that I'm sorry. I thought I was going to ask Peter. You no, had your no, own. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think love for the master can be one reason. Love for the wife and children can be another reason. Uh -huh. Or love for all three groups could be another reason. I mean, I don't think that you this have to love not all three out in scripture. <laughs> okay, so now you're just waiting. It. I'm just incredibly proud of you and so <laughs> grateful that you shared this and it's kicked us off very nicely did you have anything else before I go to this wiser man no <laughs> no please sir. nice jacket by the way thank you picking up on your comment about you know there's the one view that it's kind of bad to be the you know to be the bond servant, and then this other view that it's good. And and I don't I don't think they're mutually exclusive because I think there's you know there's different levels of, of understanding and, and application. So clearly, you know at the Peshat level and what this Peshat level surface surface, surface meaning. plain meaning of the text. What you know, the tour of the bond servant is certainly an, is it was a form of essentially social security because if somebody <laughs> fell on hard times and was unable to, to provide for their own needs, they could in essence place themselves in indentured uh, servitude to a master. 
and they knew they were only going to do that, have to do that for a maximum of six years, and in the seventh year they go free. But but during that six years, you know, the master is providing for their needs. So it was a form of social security in that in that society at the time. But it, but it certainly was not your goal was not to be a bond servant and be de and be dependent on other people. A right? lesson so to be learned in America, perhaps. <laughs> sure. So so there so in that sense it it is a bad thing. However, what is this trying to teach us about God and and Messiah and why is it that we see particularly in the apostolic writings right where. Uh, Shaul and, and a few of the others, but particularly Shaul, um, always refers to himself as a bond servant of Messiah, which is hearkening back to this law. Absolutely. Because what, what he's saying is, I'm totally indebted to the Messiah. He is my master, but guess what? He's a good master, and I love him. So I'm not going to take my freedom, I'm going to stay in the service of the master. Now, it's interesting because if you read the, the corollary description of this, of this law in Deuteronomy, it, it, um, you know, it, it gives some additional information uh, about the responsibilities of the master towards the servant. And basically the master was required, if, if, if at the end of the six years the, the servant came to the master and said, I love you, you've been kind to me, you've been good to me, I don't want my freedom, I want to stay in your service. The master could not refuse him. The master could not turn right. him away. Right. And at that point, there's this little kind of strange ceremony where they take him before Elohim, as it says in the Hebrew, which is translated as judges, and they nail his ear to the wall. There's some interesting imagery there. Mm. But, um, but at that point... He is now forever a bondservant of that master. And that master is forever responsible for his basic needs. Food, shelter, clothing. He, he is, that is the responsibility of the master. So when we get to the, the apostolic writings and we have Shaul saying, I am a bondservant of Messiah, what he's saying is, I am forever indebted to him and he is responsible for my well-being. Amen. So that is a very good thing, and that's what and that's what this is is um, is teaching us. And this is borne out actually in the Talmud because um, in Tractate Kiddushin in the Talmud, referring to this uh, to this particular um, passage, it says there's a quote there's a quote there that says, "He who acquires a Hebrew slave acquires a master." Which is to say, the point of the, of the, if you kind of read the context of that discussion, the point of it was to say that the master who has this slave has such high obligations towards the slave that it's almost like the roles get reversed. Mm -hmm. that, that it goes on and gives description. It says, um, if the master has white bread, he cannot give the slave, you know, um, brown, actually it's black bread, I'm not sure what black bread is. If the master has a feather bed, he cannot give the slave a bed of straw. So the point is that if you have, been, if, if you have submitted and indebted yourself to the master, the master has an obligation before God 
to care for you and not just, you know, barely kind of, you know, it's like, no, he had, you know. So in that sense, the tour of the bond, the tour of the bond servant is extremely profound in terms of what it teaches us about our relationship to Messiah. It's quite a mezuzah ceremony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nailing that ear. Loved or posed Other comments before we move on from the bond servants? Senor. Um, I just want to add to both uh, Julia and um, Greg, which is um, there's several instances um, if you were if you came free or if you came alone, leave alone, became married, you get married, yeah. and then finally if you get married while you're in service, then there's a couple of things. But um, I would agree that the man and I guess the master would have to count the cost. There has to be the you know, freedom would be. <coughs> But maybe that man counts the cost, and um, I would rather stay with my master because I love him, and also I'd rather stay with this woman who's also a bond servant because I love her, and now we have children. So I would agree that it shouldn't be entered into lightly. You got to know what you're getting into. You're once you commit, and if you're going to stay, you're going to stay. So it has to be a, um, a commitment, like uh, Greg was saying, and, and with the um, analogy to our commitment to Messiah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse 12, one who strikes a man who dies shall, be put to death. shall surely be put to death. But for one who had not lain in ambush and God had caused it to come to his hand. I I find that extraordinary. Here we have the very sovereignty of God involved in what appears to be a nasty guy in his sin. Mm -hmm. But we know that God is sovereign and it couldn't happen. If he lies in wait, he's not going to get the guy unless God should allow it to happen. This one's not lying in wait, though. This is like, the example they give, I think, later in Deuteronomy, maybe, is the, the guy who's, who's yeah, dropping the wood too. and the accent flies off the, the yeah. handle. But this one here, he's not laying in ambush, and God had caused it to come to his hand. I shall provide you a place to which he shall flee. So we've got. Involuntary, involuntary, involuntary manslaughter, and and what? what what's he talking about? This place where he can flee. City of refuge. Cities of refuge, right? So we're going to find out later where those are. How many are in the land? Six, Six two, three in the land, one in the land, three, 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 across the Jordan. Six total. My Bible says there's three and three. I thought mm-hmm. six, six, two and one, yes, seven so. and three. <laughs> I think it's three and three. But the problem yeah. is to have more as God more as as, as we get more kids, right. but right now his proximity is an issue. Yeah, has to be close enough to be able to get there. And he's got to get there by sundown. When does he get to leave? After the death of the Kohen Hagadol. After the death of the high priest. We had it in English and in. In Hebrew, did you hear that? So yeah, when the high priest dies, he can leave. It seems to be the end of the sentence, as it were. Why is this curious when we read the apostolic scriptures? Is he the only one that remembers? Come on. 
What do you read in the apostolic scriptures about the high priest? There's multiple ones. You got this high priest and his dad who's high priest, and there's like nine high priests at one point. What's up with that? We've got an issue. It's corrupt. The high priest has his office being handled and sold and peddled by Rome. We have a problem. There should never be more than one high priest. Because now, what happens to the cities of refuge? Wait a minute, I'm, am I stuck here? Who's, who's really high priest? Well, he's not high priest. Because when did the high priest finish his office? Yeah, this was a lifetime appointment, right? So, it, it's not pot. You, okay, you get it. So, it's really cool because the Levites live in the cities of refuge, so they know. Very neat. Very neat. I also think it's interesting here that we have almost just a, in a funny way, like the first quasi-prison sentence in a sense. I mean, he's, he's free, but he's right. really stuck in the city because it's, it's just like a house arrest. Kind yeah, of. yeah. He, he, or those ankle monitors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, High priest. He's too far away his own life at risk. And, um, and I think it's powerful because it reminds us that there's a consequence for um, even involuntary things. It's like, it, it emphasizes the significance that God puts on human life. Um, we're going to see in a little bit, there's a reading through about the ox that gores things and, um, and kills people. And it goes back to Genesis where God says, a man or an animal that kills another man dies. And so in this case, it's not the guy's fault. So God has mercy on him and he gives him the city of refuge to flee to. But it doesn't mean it's without consequence. I, I, uh, I would summarize most of this portion with the word responsibility. Would you agree? There's a responsibility that man has, even if it's seemingly out of his control. It's still his animal, that kind of thing. Good. Just to to Joshua's point. Yes. That I don't think we we fully can wrap our heads around like God's reasoning for things and stuff yeah. like that. And so in this case, we sort of get a glimpse of that life to him is very important, right. as Joshua was saying, and so much so that it's not just a rule, don't kill anyone, because even if you, it, you didn't like break the rules, it's like an accident, but it still has a consequence. Exactly. And then Joshua was saying that um, if an ox kills somebody or someone kills somebody, they have to be killed, and you get the same <coughs> thing in that if someone flees to the city of refuge, someone still dies. And it's as if the high priest is taking on the um, the penalty for that innocent right. killing. Right. So it's still it's still expiated. That's good. I like that. That's great. Well, just to pick up on that point, I think that's we're a, just going to daisy chain right around the room. So there's, <laughs> I, there's I think a neat allusion to the work of our high priest, mm -hmm. right? Because. The, the, the person who flees to the city of refu refuge is not at liberty to leave until the death of the high priest. Mm -hmm. As if to say, the high priest completes the atonement, as it were, for the, for the, for the death. death. For the that's, death. That's the shedding of blood. So, um, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. No now, in verse 14, we see a different scenario. This is deliberate. Guy kills him. Lies in wait. Takes him out. Joey Zaza. Done. And so, what do you do then? He dies. He dies. Suppose he goes to the city of refuge. 
How do you know? Even you shall take him even from the altar. Even from the altar, you bet. So he can run to that city refuge all he wants. It's not going to work. Not this time. Uh uh. Because even if he's in the, at the altar, we're going to see. Now we have a reference. Um, so in the movies, like when they go to the church and declare something. <laughs> That's right, yes. That doesn't work. That's right. He's hiding in the confessional and it's all right, we can't touch him here. Yeah. So, so we, have, uh, we have a reference now that should come to your mind about Messiah. When I read about taking somebody at the altar, Oh, if you have. Alt, I heard a hmm, and I started an up. If you have alt with your brother. No, but that's good too. You Leave your gift at the altar. Right. Go back, make right, then come back and make your offering. By the way, when you hear the word offering, you should think animal. animal. When you hear the word offering, you should think animal, not pocket change, not twenty dollar bills. Offering, animal. What were you gonna say? That was my. Um. That was your um too. I'm thinking. Don't, thinking. Don't come on, come on. Give it up. I think of Solomon going Solomon. after his brother. Yeah. Okay, that's good. It's not Yeshua, but I like it. I like biblical. Yeshua does the whole. When he talks to the Pharisees, he says that they dragged away one of the Benites. From the altar. But he was a righteous man between the altar and the steps or the door or something. Yeah, something like that. Right? So the altar and the holy place. Yeah, that's what it was. Right? So. Remember, when the master spoke, he was oftentimes quoting scripture. And we should look, as we're reading in the, Tanur, the Torah or the Tanakh, where these things remind us of what he says. We were noting this week that verses 18 and 19 sound like what happened to John. He, somebody struck him, but he was able to get up and go outside and move around on his own. And so all they have to do is pay for his lost life and him. That's... That's a, that's great. Bed. Yeah, he yeah. fell into bed. So yeah, fallen just into the ground. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like that. For those of you who don't know, Johnny had a car accident. He his car was struck, and his body kind of busted up. Uh, no, I was just going to comment along those same lines that your use of the word responsibility is another we we might use in modern language liability. Okay, uh, but all the way through this passage in our in our, in our forefathers of this country, you know, uh, may their memory be for a blessing, Yes. Uh, took these passages and these these concepts, Western law is built upon this, mm -hmm. the, the notions of personal property. So when we hear our government or other people in positions of power diminishing the, the, uh, the personal, property rights. personal property rights, we should understand that they're also diminishing life at the same time. That's because right. in this passage, these are intertwined. Property and life Good. together. Good. Wow. And I think um, one really funny little Hebrew word here that I thought was interesting as I was listening to it this morning and kind of following along in your Kamash, um, there was a line that uh, it says, only for his lost time is the English. In Hebrew, it's actually Shabbato. It's for his Shabbat. Um, and, and so it's kind of think, it's kind of a cool way to think about it. It's like um, when, you're, when you have a Shabbat, you're not working. So this guy has like an extended shabbat because he can't work. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting thing Shabbats. to to think of time in terms of shabbat. Always. And isn't that really how we get from Passover to Shavuot? Right. We're counting seven sevens. We're counting Shabbat too. I, I two things very quickly before we move on. Uh, first, uh, verse sixteen. I thought of a biblical character. <coughs> 
that we've already had. Joseph. I thought of Joseph, sure, yeah. Did his brothers not kidnap him and be in charge of him and all of that stuff? Sounds like uh, it looks like if this stuff was around back then, this would have been a We'd have two tribes. Yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this sense was why they were so frightened when they met him. I think one of the things that's really powerful though in all of this, we have to keep in mind, you know, people are going to read things like one who strikes his father and brother shall surely be death. Does that mean we should drag out children and store them in the streets? Yes. Well, yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> if we've got, if we've got our witnesses yes. in our, in our, in our <laughs> court system, yes. Yes. Um, and the key, as reason I'm to emphasize that, is the point of witnesses. Um, there's a reason why this phrase says, "If he was found to have been in his power, shall surely be to death." In other words, the sages say no one ever died for this crime, mm-hmm. as they were kidnappings, but no one ever died because the idea in a lot of these guidelines of the death penalty. It's not so much to say, if you do something wrong, you have to die. It's the idea of trying to push it out of the public eye, in a sense. People aren't brazen in their sin. So it's a huge risk. If you're caught, you die. But on the other hand, it also is partly intended to help prevent like miscommunic- um, misunderstandings, other things. It's like, I mean, even today in our current system of justice, as, as supposedly brilliant as DNA testing all it is, <coughs> we still kill people who didn't commit crimes. Because we don't have as strict a standard on the Two judicial system. Two eyewitnesses. And vice versa. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, we let people go who do do You and could so not use, use uh, circumstantial evidence in the Sanhedrin. It Never. Had to be nor, nor could you even use... Two eyewitnesses. And you couldn't and use anyone who count. was associated with the, right. the person either. So it was, it was very, I think very that if we have the witnesses in the court, yeah, you should be stoning these people. I, I put myself out there right now saying that. But that is a very high standard. Absolutely. I would like to add that uh, on, on the inverse, we don't actually hold the false witness accountable to That's receive right. the same penalty exactly. the person that they were. Which would be really great. That's exactly right. And, and so we all, we're all agreeing here that being in a theological system designed by God here on the planet with the appropriate men in charge would be a lovely thing. Yes. Amen? And when no Messiah crime. comes soon and in our days, he will reign. No crime. And <laughs> no crime. Joseph probably couldn't have proved that he was kidnapped with this standard right. because there are no all the people who were involved were the, the Ishmaelites who bought him and all his brothers. <laughs> That's right. That's They're right. all guilty. So, well, let's, let's, and let's never forget that Joseph was in a position of power and could have said anything he wanted right. and it would have been done. Right. And he chose and they think that Not we see too. God keep his sorry. I say we see God keep his own standard. I mean, I think about Cain. Cain kills Abel. God knows, but there's no witnesses. Mm-hmm. So God, who assigns the punishment, does not kill him right. because God keeps His own Torah. Amen. Well, and Joseph saw and said, "What you was did for evil, for evil, God God's using for good." So Amen. he knew he was in place to save the people of this do you think verse 17 is verbal? Do I think it's verbal? I'm just checking. Just uh, you, watch your mouth. What? <laughs> there is an understanding uh, from the sages that uh, that the curse had to include the name of Hashem when they said it. So. You know, if they were cursing their parents and they used the name, because now now they've got a couple of issues, right? They 
you know, number number three is now a pro problem, right? The third commandment. Number five is number five, definitely number a five is a problem. <laughs> this, you know, so the, you know, they're just yeah, knocking down the price. But um, but the, in other words, the curse to rise to the penalty of death, assuming you have the, the witnesses, blah blah blah, the curse itself had to had to have invoked the name uh, to uh, to rise to the level of. And just, just for those of you who may not be plugged into wall builders and David Barton's ministry and whatnot, in the first several years of our country, at least two men were put into prison and fined because they blasphemed the name of Jesus Christ on a street corner in public. Yes, sir. Well, where do you think they got it from? And the book of Numbers has the, has the story about the son of a Danite and the uh, mother and an Egyptian father who blasphemed right. the name of God because he was also quarreling with the man and, and he is stoned. You bet. And, and it's funny because even Moshe has to double check with God to make sure that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. If you're going to take a life, you don't want to do it yeah. um, incorrectly. So, uh, verse 22. Anybody want to talk to me about uh, the right to life? I definitely had a question about that because my the, the New King James Version has a very which is here in twenty two yeah twenty two this one says um, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely which is implying that there, no death occurred to the child in mm -hmm. that is version of that, that right? fixes all the problems it does exactly yeah but I'm pretty sure that most other versions say something like well actually mine mine says a pregnant woman she miscarries but there will be no fatality right they just say that that fatality is referring to the woman though. that's right not the baby yeah. mine says her fruit departs and yet no drop the food. But let's put that back in the standard of, of witnesses again. Uh, you know, and, and because God is 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 just, uh, what cannot be seen is not is not judged as the ultimate as having killed the child. As we don't know if that's what killed the child or not. Exactly. Well, and and I've done a little bit of independent study on this verse, and the article Kumash doesn't even scratch the surface at all on on, on the understanding here. But the, the Hebrew word for uh, and and she miscarries really means and the baby comes out. Nearly mm -hmm. done. Literally. But and so if if if, if there is a miscarriage, I meaning she doesn't carry the baby to term, but uh, but the baby's born and there is no fatality. It could it's very loose. I mean, you could say yeah. If, if the fatality is referring to the, to the child, then it's I mean that's a, as pro life statement basically as you get. Yeah. I've the way I read it, regardless of the version, it seems to me they've collided or bumped into a woman, right. and it, we don't. It, it's not using the kind of word as struck a blow or something right. like that. Yeah. So I I well, tend to see this miscarriage and no fatality as right. alluding only to the child. Sure. So, but, but your your mileage may vary. That is the whole point, though. That if it doesn't, then it looks like the Torah thinks less of fetai. <laughs> Other than the fact that it places great value on witnesses. Exactly. And judges. Judges and witnesses. Because you can't do the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and so on, unless you've got the judges in place, the appropriate witnesses have been presented, and a, and a judgment has been ruled. I mean, what's, what's the name of the portion? And judgments. Judgments. The, the, you mentioned eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know. 
And a lot of times, I mean, I've had, I know I've had several conversations with people where they'll bring up that passage <laughs> and they'll say, so, so if somebody, you know, guy, you know, gouges out somebody's eye, are you saying we should gouge their eye out, right? Because they're taking that, they're taking mm -hmm. that statement. Hyper literally. Code of him or obviously. Right, exactly. But it's not to be taken literally. It's, it's meant to imply measure for measure. So it's the principle of measure for measure. Equal balance. So if somebody gouges out another person's eye, they are to uh, pay. Compensate. They are to compensate for the value of the eye, along with any medical, you know, et cetera, et cetera, exactly. um, as determined by, by the judges. Damages. In the yeah, land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Yes? It, and it seems like it would be just to actually do that, to, if you, you know, hit someone's eye out, that you'd have the same done to you. That just seems just, but it's cool that the I don't think that's just. <laughs> well, it is because if, if there's anesthesia, maybe. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's fair. I don't think it's just. I think it's fair. And we don't go for fairness. We go for justice. Yeah. Verse, verse 30 says, If it be laid on him a ransom, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. So that sounds like within the Torah, this concept yeah. of damage. And you've got judges and judgments. Okay. All right. So. If a man shall uncover a pit, verse 33, or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitution. He shall return money to its owner, and the carcass shall be his. Do you know why there's a fence around this property? <laughs> because you are a Torah observer. It's a watery pit. Because we have a swimming pool. And because... Not I'm an obedient man to the law. It's a pit with water. It's a pit filled with water, yes. But the, but the law does say here that if you have a pool, you have to put up a fence for this very reason, so that nobody will fall into it, especially small children. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of donkeys outside. In the <laughs> I, I think I, I, what I found interesting about this verse was it's immediately assuming that the animal that fell into the pit died or will die soon because it can't get out. Which, I merely thought of the verses that we always quote, you know, in reference to Sabbath, which, who, if, your ox, falls in if your ox falls in a ditch, who will not help his neighbor get the ox out? Yeah. So I, I, I just thought it was interesting. I mean, I, this, I mean, I think, obviously the person would try to get the animal out if it wasn't already dead. But yeah, I think I think you should focus on the people, not the animals. In the, in the one you referenced, you've got a neighbor who is aware of his flock and his animals, mm -hmm. and his ox has fallen into the ditch, and he's going to try and get it out. You, being the righteous man, would notice the need of your neighbor, and because you are your brother's keeper, and you would help him get the ox out of the ditch. Right. This schmo uncovered the pit, doesn't know what's going on, and in falls the donkey, and nobody knows. I, I actually have a different take on that, and I think I think there is a correlation. There's a, there's a string of pearls here. I think there's a correlation between Let's the uncovered ditch and, and the Shabbat. And I think that this, this actually lends some credence to the notion that, that, that we cannot live Torah without community. Mm -hmm. And okay. in fact, that a Torah observant community has a much easier task yeah. at, at keeping Shabbat or whatever else. And this is, this is an example where here's someone oh, you're who's saying, seeing disobedient. Like, you're seeing like preparation for Shabbat would be to cover the pit. Absolutely. Here's a man who's disobedient. The only reason my ox fell in his ditch is because the guy next to me did not keep his 
part of the deal, he's not supposed to leave the ditch uncovered. Mm -hmm. That's good. I like it. I like it. Is there another hand? Yes. I just love how the tour is so practical because while I don't have a ditch, I don't have an ox. Mm -hmm. um, I, have, I have friends that he his car e-brake was broken and he, he didn't leave it in gear. He got got out of the car and it, overnight it rolled down and hit someone's. So it's his negligence on his behalf. Mm -hmm. of, and and he's like he points to this verse and says, "Well, I have I have to remedy this somehow." He, even though he's I like, agree. yeah, it's, it's a car, not an ox, but it's still my, my problem. There it is. So I, it's just so practical. It really, so that goes with the ox goring. Yeah, yeah, the ox goring. So, so let, me, ox let me just argue. Are you trying to tell me that that we should take this and kind of convert it into 20th century stuff? So are you saying this is a living document and that I should apply it? Today? Why do you think there's so many Jewish people that are lawyers? <laughs> 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 Doctor, did, did you notice he answered a question with a question? Yeah. It was good. Uh, I, I do like I do like Rob Spurlock's take on that, but I but I also <laughs> think that Brock also has a valid observation because if the animal falls in the ditch and can't get out, the animal will die at some point, right? So it is. It is a matter of life and death in, in, as it pertains to the animal. And suffering. Uh, and, 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 suffering. and suffering. And, and you know, we are enjoined in the Torah to properly care for animals as well. So, um, so if, if it just happened to be not a pit that was dug by someone in particular, but it just happened to be a big hole in the ground that was there naturally or something, and the animal fell in Creature. it. Exactly. Uh, and it's the Shabbat. Uh, the animal dies if you don't get it out. So you're permitted to, to, to get that animal out, to rescue that animal on the Shabbat. I like it. Even commanded, I would say. That's right. Absolutely. Enjoy. Okay. That was very good. Thank you, folks. Thank you. So we're in the first chapter. So now we're going to hit chapter 22, one of my personal favorites. If you are cleaning your 45 and a thief is discovered while tunneling in and he is struck by the hollow point round and dies, there is no blood guilt on this Italian's account. I, I do... I do want to bring back the, yeah. I do want to bring back chapter 21 and just kind of summarize by saying it is a true statement that a, a tremendous amount of our laws come from that chapter and we need to we need to recognize that and we need to to I think be quick with a testimony that I, I I'm still I've been doing it so long I'm still shocked when somebody says you don't really think you can keep the Torah do you uh, yeah, and then you get weirdness, right? And we've we've seen the weirdness, right? And I, but I want to encourage you. The chapter we just went through is is really applicable, and I think the story with the car and so forth, and just the general way that you would expect a righteous man to act, is described right here. It's it it should not be surprising. Now. That does not mean, especially the men in this room, that when you're at work, your reputation should not be based on this. I think all the more. Your character, while normally lauded by others, 
should just be based right here, seeped in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. I think it's also important that we remember that, you know, the la- last week's portion uh, was, you know, last week's portion was the Ten Commandments. So God comes down on the mountain with all of this, you know, um, glory and awe and, you know, and gives the ten words, right? Very profound moment, not in the history, just the history of Israel, but the history of the world. Absolutely. And he gives the ten words, and then he continues, because remember, there are, yeah, this is all one narrative. And he goes right into the ten, he goes from the ten words that everybody likes to a spouse and in no regard except for number four except for number four Um, and goes straight in to and these are the mishpatim the ordinances that you will place before them and he goes he starts going through all these detailed kind of things with examples of certain times certain types of situations right this is all in the same event as the giving of the ten commandments Mm. So, so there's a there's a sense of awe and communication from God. It's all one big ball of wax. This, these are the commandments. <coughs> here's the judgments. That kind of thing. I like that. Right. It's more of a continuity than we would normally think. Right. Mm. Um, I had a question. Colby, can you hear him? I can't hear. Him. I can hardly hear. Him. I can barely hear. Him. The verse. He's got deep voice. The verse you just it's quoted. Um, the second part of it. I actually haven't even really computed until more recently where it says, uh, if the sun shone upon him, uh, Oh, this is after the 45 shot? Yeah, I know. It's the bottom of 21, right? No, verse 2. No, verse 2, yeah. If the sun shone upon him, there is blood guilt on his account. He shall make restitution. If he has nothing, he should be sold for a step. Um... My question is, I'm not really stating it as an opinion. I'm also asking, does that mean that there is guilt if that is done during daylight? If you shoot the intruder in the daylight. I mean, it is, in most states, it's abided by law. If someone breaks in, you can kill them without any, and that's just self-defense, and it's your wife clean. But is the Torah saying that if you do it during daylight, you're a bloodshot? The... The understanding from the sages is that if it's daylight, that the whole issue with dark is you don't know you don't know who it is, you don't know if they're armed, what their intent is, right? right? So it's it's all it's all bets are off, you know, right? Uh, but if it's daylight and they 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 come in and they're not armed and you it's it's clear to you they're they were trying they're trying to take something they're trying to just be a common thief. thief you cannot you cannot use deadly force, in, in this. Um, but you certainly can. Def- you certainly can. Uh, absolutely, you can chase them off. You can run them. You, but you cattle prod warning shots, warning shots, taser. To be clear, this is yeah, This is how North Carolina law used to be last year. Last year, if you break into my house, if you're in the process of breaking in. I can defend my property and take you out. But if you get inside, I cannot use deadly force to repel a trespasser. Really? Yeah. Outside? You no, can't. I just said you got inside. Okay. 
So you can't repel a trespasser with deadly force. But the whole idea was what he just said. If it's dark, you don't know. And in fact, even last year, if it was dark and you couldn't see, heard the noise in the night, bang, you know, and it's just a great shot, down he goes, it's okay. That is not the law any longer. And I personally think that we have changed the law away from the word of God here in North Carolina, even though it's uh, more robust for the castle owner. Yes, sir. I was going to just add, even the sages are actually going back and forth in the Kumash because Rashi sees it as complete allegory, the, the sun shining, and says that if you can know that there's no evil intent, then you can't kill him. Right. And it has nothing to do with whether it's daylight or nighttime, but then Ankalos is the one that says, no, this is really talking about like daylight, like we were just talking about. Um, so it's interesting because they, they, even they go back and forth on this one. It's how but, it's tricky yeah. but my understanding is, if, if it is daylight, and it's not obvious that he's not armed and, and, and he's just trying to be a combat. Deadly intent, all that kind of stuff. If that's not obvious, if you if, if there is reason to believe that he is reason armed down. and may intend to hurt you or your family, Down you go. Torah, yeah. the Torah. Yeah. Which is exactly what the law here says now, too. So. Well, and actually, actually, though, if you know that he's, if, you, if you're fairly certain he's going to do bodily harm. That's a different issue. This is just yeah, we're in a different place. protection of property. Thing. Right. Because and, and he's called a thief. property is actually a valid reason for uh, for using extreme force if it's dark because it's not may not just be property, it may be something more. Exactly. Yeah. And, and well, you know, let's remember, you know, this guy is described before the tunnel as a thief. This guy's tunneling in Dad, as a thief. It's really funny they use the word Tunneling, because <laughs> of course you don't get into houses by tunneling. But it'd be really funny if they we were still in tents. <laughs> King David did. I mean, uh, well, yeah, but like our house, nobody because don't tell anybody about the tunnel. There is no tunnel. That would be the Gestapo at the door. Head to the fruit tree. Yeah, exactly. yeah. No, they used to live. Because that's how you would get into a tent. Is of course like sneaking under the flap. That's a good point. I don't. No, think no but it says they used to live in clay houses. Yeah. Okay, I, 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 I cannot speak to the tunneling tent clay adobe. Yes, that the houses were made of clay and crossbeams, and the feet dug a hole in the wall. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's like busting the window to get in. He's yes, just yes, going to go right. through the yeah, Adobe something or other. Yeah, you I got you. Okay. It in, in other words. That's right, yeah. This, this was not a door before you got here. Okay. I read verse 5, and I think immediately of... California? California. No. Come on, come on. Colorado? No. Samson, absolutely. Why do I think of Samson, Jonathan? He, he didn't like those foxes. And <laughs> he didn't like the foxes. <laughs> <laughs> Cruelty to animals. What did Samson do? Hundreds of foxes and tied firebrands to their tails, which in and of itself is an amazing feat. <laughs> <laughs> and sent them 
into the fields to burn them up. That's right. Yeah, it's got to be like a Noah thing. God brings the foxes the way God brought the animals. It's gotta be. Boy, I tell you what. Yeah, Jungle Book. Yeah, right. Jungle Book. Okay. Why, why study the Word of God? We got Jungle Book. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right. I read verse six. I bring up verse 6. Verse 6. So if I do think the last line is uh, talking about the one who kindled the fire to make restitution. Right. I have a funny feeling that if we impose a um, fine of hundreds of thousands of dollars or you know, a significant Every amount of jail sentence for starting forest fires in California. We do. Or Colorado. Oh, yeah. they, they have caught some of those people in the past, and they, they are prosecuted. Whether they're prosecuted as nearly as... Well, I'm saying though, is that I can't get into our laws right now because we're going to go off. But I guess my point, though, is that the, the, the punishment here is measure for measure. In other yeah. words, if you start a fire and I, it destroys someone's crop... I'm with you. you got to pay back. you got to pay back the crop. So I think that by having such a stiff penalty, it encourages responsibility. The irony is that most people look at the, the laws of the Torah and they say, oh, that's awful. Look at these people, these stiff penalties that are going to, you know. Or that was then, this is now, and it just doesn't apply. That was justice, oh, wow. is love, and mercy, and grace. Mm -hmm. The point being, though, is this is actually the ultimate love, mercy, and grace, because by having such a stiff penalty, people are going to be a whole lot more careful. Yeah. One would think. Responsible. Speaking of being careful. You borrow my car, verse 6, and you wrap it around a tree. What did you just do? Bought me a new mini. Maybe the mini. Unless you were in the car with me, in which case. That's right. If you're with me, you're out of I beg your pardon? I'm in verse 6. Man shall give money or vessels. The vessel is my car. And it be stolen. And it becomes broken. Yeah, borrow and then it gets stolen. Okay, okay. Reading ahead. Okay, that's good. That's good. So that's okay. I get my car and then someone steals it. Yeah. It's yeah. a blessing for me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but if the thief is found, he pays double, which could get you lunch at McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There is a cup in here for a new car for John. <laughs> So can That's right. Okay. I do think it's so cool here how they, they break down this whole, I mean, the sages also, they comment on this, and it's incredible. If you give something to somebody and it's a loner, hey, look, hey, can you watch this for me? I got to leave by the town. Can you take care of this? And something bad happens to it. Well, it's not the guy who's watching its fault. It's like, it's not my stuff. You know, I, I did my best, something bad happened, somebody stole it, it got broken, the animal died, sorry. It's a but if, if he says, hey, look, I'll pay you if you watch this for me, well, now now the guy's getting paid, and yeah, it's actually now, relevant. Now it's an employer-employee relationship. And now, all of a sudden, if it's something bad happens, it's his fault. Now, here's, this is this is Yeshua's words being coming out in uh, life uh, illustration. Yeshua talks about the shepherd who's hired. Because the shepherd who's hired sees the wolf coming and splits out of there because it says in the Torah that the animal is he torn. He doesn't love the sheep. It's not his fault. Right. In other words, your life is so much more valuable because that's somebody else's sheep. 
You're being paid to watch them. Yeshua's point is that the shepherd who owns the sheep yeah. is going to actually care enough to go beyond necessarily what the Torah says, per se, and actually risk his own life for them. Amen. But the hired shepherd does not need to. Um, and Excellent. I think, and of course, you would only really understand all of that if you uh, knew the Torah at the exit. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. So, so let me see if I can I get a show of hands. How many of you think that this, this, this passage, Mishpatim, that we're reading is actually applicable in our lives in some way, shape, or form. Okay, thank you. Now, um, okay, so are, are you saying that I should take this text literally? Yes? Yes. Or no? Take it. Take it. Take it. It's, it's, if yes. you take it, you should take it. Yeah, I raised my head to it. Yeah. Is this, should I, should I, should I read this literally and live it literally, or are you more inclined to make an application from it to today? Yes. Oh. Yes. Both. <laughs> okay. Wise guys. You, then you. Both. Oh, I'm raising my hand. Uh, literally, you have to be careful why you say literally. And, and this is what we are accused of by our brethren in other places, is that, well, you wouldn't take that literally, and yet they take certain things literally as well. The right. point is, literally is it always has to take in, in context. True. Uh, so the fact that I would say I read this literally does not mean that I read it out of context because it's clear that the literal words have meaning in the in the in the sight or in the hearing of of average people that True. they understand what's being said versus uh, the literally where you know just well that says you're going to drag them out and stone them so you got to drag them out and stone them. There was no talk of judges. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? All right. So, so just to make sure that everyone here is clear. So you're saying that these laws should apply in my life today Absolutely. with a grain of salt? No, with, with, with the full context of all that God's talking about. Um, um, the so principles apply? Precepts. Beyond the principles. God's the ways. The ways God's God. ways. The structure. The structure. The Right. So, so you're saying I should apply the oxen and donkey yes, to my car. A, Who did that in the apostolic writings? Paul did. You mean exactly right, with the ox and don't tread my pastor. Right. The ox for the pastor, the pastor right? right? He goes, you know, he wasn't talking about the, he wasn't he didn't care about the ox, did he? Right? It was a workman's worthy of its hire. Okay. Hang on. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just going to echo what Joshua said. That is, it's, you take it literal, but you also have to take it. You have to. It's literal, but also you have to be literate. Yes. Which is to say, again. Right. Well, that's the difference between taking it out of context. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, again, you know, what he just said is, is true. Okay. So, I don't have an ox. So my ox isn't going to gore you because I don't have one, but I have a dog. Or if I run you over with my car. Right. So, my extreme ox gore. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Like, like, okay, there's precepts, but. Like Colby's sitting behind you, you know, and you know he's getting dazed over here. He's, he's just like, I'm, you know, he doesn't have an ox, so he's wondering what he should do. But he's got a car, so I'm, I'm looking for. Is there some kind of secret translation key thing that I have or I okay. need so that I can I can know when to apply it and when it does and doesn't apply? You tell me the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's I mean, that's, that's kind of Rashi. I've got to read the Rashi script. <laughs> well, let, let me uh, let me try and make my question more relevant to you. What happened in Papua New Guinea this week? 
Tsunami. I'm sorry? Tsunami. They took a 20-year-old woman out. They stripped her in public in front of 100 people, including children. They beat her, and then they doused her with gasoline, threw her on old tires, and burned her alive because they said she was a sorcerer. Verse 17, read it. What does it say? You shall not permit a sorceress to live. They didn't. Now, my point is, I know what you all are thinking. I agree with all of you. But you can't put it in <clears throat> messianic ease. You can't put it in Christian terms and say that you're living by this without drawing some kind of box or you will become, I'm sorry, you have become the most feared group of people in America. That's what you are. You are fundamental, Bible-thumping, absolute believing. You guys are over the top because you're actually in the old part of this book. <laughs> and you, you're believing it and telling me that it applies now. Absolutely. You have got to be able to articulate that in a fashion that will not get you shot or arrested. Otherwise, there's nothing wrong with Papua New Guinea and what they did, is there? There is. So we need to be able to articulate why. Should the, should the person who strikes his mother be stoned? The answer? Yes. Absolutely. But will we do that? No. no, because we cannot do that. Because the trappings that go with this are not in place in our country. I would argue that they may have been even almost there in the first, I don't know, 50, 60 years of our country. They're not there now. Does that make sense? Yes. So, we don't need to spend the time to figure out how to do that, but I, I want to make it clear that you need to, I don't, want to, I don't want you to back off of the Word of God, but you need to hedge your bet a bit and cut down on the rhetoric when you're not in this room. Otherwise, people are going to think you're nuts. Amen? That being said, I think that the, the caution and restraint... The sorcerer should have died. No. Not necessarily, but um, uh, the caution and restraint that we hold back on, I think, is going to be more often applicable to punishments. And um, as, a, as an example, a somewhat unfortunate but still interesting one, in the first century with Yeshua, the, um, the, the chief priest and the, the, the Sanhedrin uh, basically have to go to the Romans. They say, well, we, we can't actually kill this guy. We need you, Pilate, to do it, because by law we can't. Right. So the point being is that there are punishments in, in the Torah that even if you had a lot of the tools and pieces, in, in a sense, to carry them out, we don't live in a country that allows that, so therefore you can't. That being but, said, I, I do want to just follow up but, and say that when we're talking about personal responsibilities, how I treat, like Jonathan earlier, my car ran into somebody else's car. You know, you gave me something to watch over and I broke it by accident. You know, there's a lot, now all of a sudden, now we have a different, now I can apply that principle. Exactly. And I think that that's the key. Joshua's nailed it. If we want to take that principle and apply it and parallel it, it works. The young man I was talking to, he's got a couple of kids. And I asked him, he doesn't keep the Torah. In fact, he doesn't think that the last 67% of the Bible really, I mean, why carry it around? So he's just got a New Testament. So, uh, 
I asked him how he was raising his son. He has a son. I have a son. Are you raising your son to be honest? Yes. Of course. Oh, why of course? Well, we're Christians. Okay. Christians are honest. Who knew? <laughs> so I, I took my wallet out of my pocket and I threw it on the floor. And I said, uh, if your son finds my wallet... What are you teaching him to do with the wallet? And he said, well, I'm, I'm teaching him that he should pick it up. So I cut him off, because I'm from New York. And I said, and take the money out and toss it in a can. <laughs> and he's from the South, so he gets all freaked out because I cut him off. Anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so he said, no, 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 no. He should, he should try and find the owner of the wallet. Huh. I said, well, I'm I'm teaching my son exactly the same thing. So what's your basis for teaching your son that? He says, well, we need to be honest. That's the, that's, that's the right thing to do. I, I agree it is the right thing to do, but how do you know it's the right thing to do? And he goes, well, that's, that's, that's what we do. I said, I'm teaching my son the same thing. And I bring him to Deuteronomy 22. And if your neighbor loses this, or this, or this, or anything that your neighbor loses, you are responsible to care for it and return it to him. Mm -hmm. So I've got my finger on anything. I looked and said, wallet. <laughs> you left my wallet on the floor. Pick up my wallet. Mm -hmm. And he got my wallet and he got the message. So I agree, the punishment thing might be something we want to perhaps steer away from, although it gives us a guideline. For our own laws. Well, I think certainly if you think about the, um, even within the punishments, we can't carry them out. It's like we can't, the fact that we have no temple, we don't have sacrifices. Right. It doesn't prevent us from learning from them. Exactly. I think first and foremost, from the lessons we saw earlier, teaching your children, children are absolutely, beyond uh, exception, not allowed to strike their parents. Mm -hmm. If your little child who's like five tries to hit mommy, it, no, that is a very serious well, you know, to your point, I think that uh, you know we've said it here before. If you're against capital punishment, I mean that's that's your prerogative. But please don't call yourself a Christian, because if you're against capital punishment, your salvation could not come to pass. Because capital punishment, God's capital punishment, is what provides for your salvation. And then we're dealing with children. That. We talk about corporal punishment or something. Right, capital, corporal, different deal. <laughs> well, and, and I. I mean, I, I don't disagree with any anything, but I I don't think we should, sh you know, shy away from the punishment. The, no, yeah, I'm not saying shy away from it. I'm just saying but we you can't know, carry it out exactly. for lots of good reasons. But that's yeah. what, but that's the that's the box you got to draw. Right. You just can't say absolutely stone the bum. Yeah. Right. You, just, you can't qualify. Exactly. That's, and that's this is intended to be. This is the Torah is. It is, it is a constitutional document for God's kingdom when he is... He's the king. When he's the king. Right. So that doesn't mean that we can't apply it now. But we need, to, we need to be careful and recognize that some of the things are completely inappropriate or inapplicable in, when we're in the diaspora, when we don't have a temple, when we don't have the, the Lord, and so forth. It, but it, but it's not justified excuses not to carry it out. And that's that's if we, if we want it if we want it if we want to explain to people we we can use the scriptures to do it. And Yeshua in John chapter eight gives us the perfect example where where uh, following the Torah he no he, no no back up a second Rick uh -huh. 
How many of you know where he's talking about in John 8? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so we've got the woman caught in adultery. They bring her, right? And they got a big circle around her, right? They caught her in adultery, and they say, hey, this is what the Torah says. What do you say? Now. And what he, what he does is he, he, gives, the, he gives the perfect uh, uh, response that we all should, and that is that uh, punishments are severe in order to prevent people from... Uh, doing the crime, but at the same time, punishments are so severe and false witness is so severe that we need to always, and false judgment is so severe, we always need to approach the punishment with exactment. And here we see that Yeshua is being very exact. We need not only to have uh, the woman caught, we need a man caught, we need two valid witnesses that that are not related, that that saw each other see it in act that beyond reproach beyond reproach and we need a we need a balance of judges which means that it can't be one two it must be no less than three and in fact in the in the sanhedrin days this probably capital crime would have been the the whole whole Sanhedrin. all right so so i'm i'm hearing you say that he actually upheld the Torah he not only upheld by letting this woman go, but he, she was an adulteress. It not, not only did he uphold it, he held it to the highest standard. How do you explain that? I go to church and they tell me that he did he away with it. He didn't find an excuse to let her off. He held the Torah to its highest standard. So he didn't give her an out? No, absolutely not. He, he didn't violate the Torah. He used the Torah lawfully. Mm-hmm. Somebody said that once. Somebody wrote that down. He knew, okay, because who he is, he knew she committed Of course he did. But there were no two witnesses. The problem that you have, we have a friend of ours who's a retired homicide detective, okay? And I thought you were going to say it was a retired adulterer. Retired. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's just with the story, but yeah. <laughs> he said, you would be surprised at how many people are sent to jail, are executed, um, the basis of two witnesses. He says the problem is the two witnesses, when you get and do some research, didn't really see what they thought they right. saw. Yeah. Right. They would rather have a written confession as opposed to two witnesses, right. okay, because mm-hmm. they're non reliable. So, getting back yeah. to what you were saying, you need to do that. And I think we need to use common sense when we talk about the punishment, okay? Like we talked about eye for an eye. You don't want to rip out your neighbor's eye. It may be a, a monetary thing. Exactly. That's where common sense comes in. Yeah. You need to talk to people yeah. about that. I, I think that for the folks that want to dismiss the Torah, we've got a very quick and easy. I see you and I see you. Um, I think we've got a very quick and easy response on on the whole John 8 adultery thing, right? Um, I, I think Rick flushed it out completely and it was, it was beautiful with all the different things. You can't catch a woman in adultery. That's, that's grammatically impossible. You catch a couple in adultery. You can't catch a woman in adultery. So right off the bat, Something's wrong. Right. So now, here I am. Because the Torah is explicit. You bet it is. You bring it up. You bring it up. So here I am and I'm looking at this situation. I seem to be looking at it from one perspective. Now, there were three groups of people in this story. Did you pick it up? There's the master looking at the Torah. There's the accused. 
And who's the other group? The accusers. The accusers, the crowd, the guys, whatever it may be. So if I'm approaching it from a Torah perspective, as Rick was doing, and we assume the accuser is going to just kind of stay quiet, and the person, unfortunately now, from the church is telling me how Yeshua is responding. And I immediately go, uh, I, th I think we need a couple. And they, they're arguing with me about his response. Into which group are they putting themselves? Into the accusers group. They're actually enemies of the master. Or they are questioning the master's authority. I don't think that's where you want to be. I, I just think it's the wrong side of your own, you know? But again, we're, we're starting with missing one of the people. I got you, but you're first. Yeah, I think this also gives us admonition. Uh, a pastor of ours once said, don't believe everything you hear, and don't believe everything you see. And he gave a great analogy one Sunday, um, and he said that um, there was a couple walking their dog, and they were going by the pastor's house. And all of a sudden they looked up because they heard a woman screaming. And they saw the shadow through a Venetian blind, or, or like, you know, those pull-down blinds. Shame, yeah. And they showed, it, it showed the man hitting her, and she was screaming, and she was screaming. And so they were horrified, and they went to the church board, and they ran that pastor out of town. Well, what was happening on the other side was there was a mouse running through the kitchen. <laughs> the woman was up on a chair screaming, and the guy took off his belt and was trying to kill the mouse. So what they perceived was happening was not happening at all. And so I think for us, we have to be very careful with what we hear and even not believe sometimes what we see, because they actually saw this. Yeah. And you know, they took it and it ran yeah. with it. If, if you read the Torah from Genesis all the way to the maps, there's one thing pretty clear. We can get faked out very easily. Yeah. That was one of the first passages that, uh, that I faced in coming in and becoming Torah aware uh, as God was leading me and uh, my former pastor asked me that very question about the woman caught in the act of adultery and looking at it recently my eyes were open to, uh, to understanding it in greater detail. The master, Messiah, handled it I mean, just phenomenally. Basically, the accusers were not adjudicating or administering Torah properly no. because of, you know, the couple not being present, sure. the man not being there. And, you know, they no, use this as the poster child for grace. Right. right. Uh, when, when the master said, he who's without sin among you cast the first stone, every one of them knew what the written Torah said on this matter and the fact that the other man that wasn't there knew that by the very act of casting the stone they would be sinning. Mm. So they had to drop their stone each in turn and walk away. Sure. And it's, sure. Just, it's just awesome. And who's, who's supposed to cast the first stones? The witnesses. The witnesses. Alright, we have to move on because we're going to close. When you lend money to my people, verse 24, to the poor person who is with you, do not act toward him as a creditor. Do not lay interest upon him. Did you know that in most cases that is how they act today in the Jewish community? It's amazing. When you read verse 27, you shall not revile God and you shall not curse a leader among your people. Who do you think about? Shall we? Why? Uh, 
uh, when he was struck, and he uh, he said some words. White sepulcher or whatever it was. Well, mm-hmm. and, his, and he said, I didn't know he was the high priest. I didn't know he was the high priest. Why wouldn't he know he was the high priest? <coughs> he wasn't wearing the garments, and where had he been? There had been seven before him. <laughs> yeah. Who knows who the high priest is, right? I mean, you got all kinds of guys. You know, this guy is mine. It wasn't, a it wasn't a proper trial. He'd been out of the country, right? He's been on missionary journeys and whatnot. You know, so it's in that same thing that he goes, we've heard all we need to hear, and he rips, right? Same kind Superman. of deal. Yes, wrong, wrong garments. Um, well, you know, because the, the church will say the priesthood was gone and, you know, torn because tore, <laughs> tore his garment. One comment pertaining to the, to the previous discussion and one question pertaining to this. Um, when Rob Spurlock was giving his uh, explanation of John 8, uh, he mentioned, um, you know, you had to have a minimum of three witnesses uh, in the three judges. Three, I'm sorry, three judges. Yes, uh, in the passage where Yeshua says, if, if you know, if two or more three, right, um, gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Um, you know, there's a traditional understanding that you know I was taught of kind of what that meant. Right. We uh, pray for the Maserati because it's three. We're all gathered together, and we we ask for something. That we yeah, we're going to get. Right. But there's actually a, another <laughs> another possible understanding of that passage, and it had to, it pertained to judges. In other words, he was saying because he's talking to his Talmudim, who he has given apostolic authority to. He's saying, look, if two or three of you are gathered, a bait dean, you know, a, a, as a, a, to judge a matter. There I am in the midst of you, meaning I got your, I've got your back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just an interesting, a different understanding of that passage. Yep. As it pertains to this, um, how do we apply this as it pertains which, which to... Which this is this, this? Cursing a leader. Cursing a leader. No, cursing a uh, leader. How do we apply this as it pertains to our president, for example? Should we be, regardless of, we, of whether we disagree, you know, agree or disagree with his policies, um, or whether we, you know, whatever? I, I, I think we need to be careful because I see a lot of people uh, who I think want to borderline on this particular issue. I think you're being very gentle. What's that? I think you're being very gentle. Well, maybe I, maybe I am. He is our president and commander in chief, and I disagree wholeheartedly with his policies. But he is still the president of the United States. Absolutely. And so, I think I raised my kids that way. Well, we—they're not even allowed to talk about their mother in the third person. She told me what? 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 Don't you dare refer to your mother in the third person. Your mother told you what? Am I, am I making this up? No. No, no. No, <laughs> no sir. Yeah. You're right. No, sir. No, sir. Stop it. Give me 20. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you raise a good point. If there's, any, if there's any people on the planet that should be known for the proper deference to a leader, it's those of us who know the meaning of being under a proper biblical authority. It's those of us who understand that we're, we are that bond servant to our master. This leads right back to using his name in vain, or since I'm going to jump way ahead, 
in order to finish up. Um, in chapter 23 and verse 13, be careful regarding everything I have said to you, the name of strange God shall you not mention you shall not mention, nor shall your mouth cause it to be heard. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 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 Thursday. 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 Wodens Day. Yeah, and you know, in uh, in some of the uh, in some of the Orthodox communities, they don't call about it. It's the first day of the week, the second day of the week, it's the third day of the week, it's the fourth day. Exactly. You know, and even uh, uh, Greg leading us this morning uh, during prayer time made it clear that uh, God has brought this new month upon us for good. The new month of Adar will be on the. Second day of the week. It's not Tuesday. It's uh, or Monday. It's the second day of the week. It's cool that we got that. Of course, on the seventh and the seventh month, we have a difficulty. The seventh mm. month, we have a yes. difficulty yeah. because on the seventh. Well, well, That's right. What yeah. month this is? That's right. That's right. But, but if you take that argument to the furthest extreme, you can't even say portions of scripture. Yeah. I mean, and, and certainly, he wasn't meaning that. Right. And uh, so, so my question, by the way, does everyone know why Jonathan said that? You can't read certain ports of scripture. When they came back from Babylon, some of the months got renamed. Well, not, not only that, but scripture and even God in scripture calls upon the, or uses the name of, of a foreign god. Sure. Foreign god. But, I mean, but then we come back from Babylon, we rename some of the months, Tammuz and you know some of these others, we're, we're definitely uh, thrown in there. So I, since you all said I'm supposed to apply this to my life today and it's applicable, I just need to know how to deal with this. We have, uh, we actually had a, a Shavuot meeting five, six years ago, seven years ago, whenever it was, and, uh, and Alan did the questions that we were going to study. And one of the ones was, if Ishtar is where the, the word Easter comes from, should we even really say Ishtar or Easter? Should we even say it? Thinking of this verse. So, what's your what's your take? So you don't apply this one. This we one know your take. take. Commandment, precedence. <laughs> <laughs> commandment precedence. The scripture also tells us that we should reprove uh, with the works of darkness. So, I mean, if we're sharing, you know, the origins of these pagan customs, uh -huh. then we can explain that. We can explicate that. Okay, so I, they can be on my mouth if I'm explaining it. Right. It's a good take. Our, our Esther is the, of the same derivative. It is. And it's in the scripture. So, I, so if I'm going to read the book of Esther, I can't, I have to not. I'm asking not, you. Not I'm asking you. <laughs> Don't tell me what you, you think I'm saying. I'm just asking, how do I apply this in my life? This doesn't apply? This does apply. It applies. What? It does apply. It does apply. So what should I not say? It's, it's also used in the context of making oaths, like you, like you, and we see this with Jacob. Like you don't, you don't invoke upon any other god. Okay. Like, even if you don't believe it. So I'm reminded of someone who said, "Let my yes be yes and my no be no." Why would you swear on the altar when the gold that's on the altar? Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. I like that. That's, that has more veracity in my mind than. What was the verse again? Uh, it is. Uh, 13, 23-13. The name of strange gods you shall not mention, nor shall your mouth cause it to be heard. Gregory. I actually sent uh, that asked that same question to a couple of people because I was wondering about that as the feast of Tam or the fast of Tammuz. Tammuz, yeah, fast of Tammuz. <laughs> and um, I asked, so I asked Tim Hegg, and he had really good. He just kind of looked at it in context, and you know, talks about 
the, the gathering in the sixth year, um, or you gather six years and then the seventh year, and, and then it also jumps right into the three times of year that you come before God. Right. And he was sort of approaching it like these, whenever you're coming before God with prayer, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. making an oath, anything like that, that's when you are not to ever. So watch that. my speech when I'm before him. Exactly. What's ah. the meaning of the word invoke? I think it leads to that. Don't invoke the names of other gods. Yeah, I don't, I don't have invoking money. Reading that King James stuff again? What is it? Oh, NIV. Okay. Those of you heard invoke. Well, invoke certainly sounds like that kind of thing. Calling on the name of that god. I like it. Yeah. Just to bounce off of Greg's point, which is from Mr. Hay, but the. Dr. Hay. Dist. Right. Um, or the Timster. I don't, I don't know what to call them. Um, but in, in the book Utopia, Thomas More, there's their religious uh, mooring. They, everybody meets in the one building, the one church. and But everybody has diverse uh, religions. And so to make everybody happy, they all pray to their own god, but they all use the same name, Mithra. Which is always reminds me of this because that's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> and I think that's sort of sort of the idea of this is you is when you when you're worshiping God and praying to God, you don't use the name of this pagan, you know, because he, he's he's not that guy. So so you're uh, you're going to be in the sacred name movement now. <laughs> well, I'm I'm in the uh, movement against you're in using Mithra. Mithra. Ah, non Mithra. <laughs> Okay, so we won't use the Mithra deal. I do think that the seriousness of the way it's being used is relevant here in the sense that in our society today where most of your opponents in the debates or discussions or people who don't have the debate tends to be atheist or agnostic, you don't run into this. But if you lived in Indian culture or in a country of Muslims or other types of things, you would have an issue of being like, well, okay, um, you know, when you worship so and so, it's kind of, I'm do- kind of doing the same thing with my God. No, 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 no. That, you that's call not, him Allah, I no. call him... Yeah. Yeah. Our yeah. issue here, I think, is, is treating the deities as though they are, in a sense, relevant. They're, they're real. The examples they give in the Kumash uh, say, a Jew may not say, I will meet you near the idol. In other words, being like, oh yeah, that, the, the temple to so-and-so, because as though that were actually a relevant thing, I'm going to meet you over there. Um, nor may he go into a partnership with a non-Jew on the understanding that in case of a dispute, the Gentile will be required to swear by the name of his idol. The point being is, we don't give credence to the um, existence or de- power of these false deities. That's exactly that. Tuesday is just Tuesday. Tuesday is Tuesday. That's exactly what Paul said. But if I'm going to be talking to a Muslim, and he's talking about his God, I can't go and say, you know, it's, I'm so glad that you see the need for justice and, and you hate thievery because you really follow so-and-so. No, 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 no. That's... It's bad. I'm sorry. Your God is a false deity, the and fact, I don't agree with that. The fact that his God has given him some things that happen to be good is just an accident. Well, it doesn't matter. His has given him Paul, Paul has said the same thing. It's just a piece of wood. It's just a piece of stone. It's not alive. It's not really an idol. It's a fake. It's a fake God. It's a false God. All right. Final point. Final point. Before you get to the final point, may I uh, bring up uh, <laughs> chapter 24? Or that's, that's not where you're going. I was going to go back to 22 okay. uh, just because I wanted to find out about the flesh of the animal that was torn in the field. Um, 
and that you can give it to the dog. Well, I, actually, um, I won't take but that's right. Go ahead. You, you can have the last point. I, I, no, no, I, this is not the last point. This is the next to last point. <laughs> Chapter 24, verse, verse 11. He says, Moshe arose with Jehoshua's servant to the boundary. Since Jehoshua can go, excuse me, go up to verse 12. God said to Moshe, come up to me to the mountain. Remain there, and I'll give you the stone tablets which incorporate the entire Torah and mitzvah which I have written to instruct. Moshe arose with Yehoshua, uh, Yehoshua, his servant, to the boundary. Since Jehoshua could go no further, he pitched his tent there, and Moshe went up to the mountain of God. And as he left camp, he said to the elders, wait for us here and be ready to judge any dispute until we return to you. What does that sound like? Wait for us here. Abraham and Isaac. It sounds like Abraham and Yitzhak. And here now we see Moshe playing the part of Abraham, and we see uh, we see. Yeshua, Yehoshua, playing the part of Yitzhak. Bam! And what's interesting is, Yehoshua is not mentioned after this until at the end of the occasion. So we really don't. That's why. The, Where is he then? That's why. That's why it's in parentheses on my in my Kumash where it says and he pitched his tent there because it doesn't say that. Yeah. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Yehoshua didn't go with him. It just doesn't say he did. Wow. That's cool. That's Does everybody catch that? Cool. Yes? No? Yes? Got it? No? No? No, but no, 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 no. Well, run, we it have, by, run it by slow. We have, we have this wonderful example in Abraham and Isaac of the father offering up his son. And we also know from chapter 22 of Genesis that Isaac is not mentioned after that. We know that there's a until ram that's until supplied. Rebecca shows up. We know that there's until a ram that's supplied. And then the next instance we have is much, much later where he's provided a wife. So where's Isaac all this time? And because of that, Jewish uh, Jewish uh, interpretation or legend is that Isaac actually died. And that he was resurrected uh, after this as, as well. So we have them. And Paul alludes to and that. And Paul alludes to or whoever the writer of Hebrews alludes right. to it, saying that... It's as if Isaac died. And, and, and he was given back from the dead. Back from the dead back as from it were. So we already have this example both in Judaism and also in Christianity of the of the picture of Abraham and Isaac being a messianic picture. And so we see it here as well, where God calls from the mountaintop and he says, Come up here. Abraham looks in the third day and sees this high place and says, and, and essentially God says, Come up here. And then Abraham goes on. And takes his son with him and leaves the group behind and tells and, them, and tells them I will return. We will return. The exact same words are being used here, where, where Moshe says to the group, We are going to go on, him and Joshua are going to go on, we'll return to you, but we have no mention of Joshua until actually they return. So the word Yehoshua, Joshua, is Yeshua. Yeshua's name is actually a, is a nickname for Yehoshua. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. May I interject something there, though? Are you arguing with me? Yes. Not really. Not really. But we had this discussion once before, and I came on Genesis 22, where it says in 10, it says, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife. To slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, 
and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I can't go there because the angel said not to harm him. Nobody is, nobody is saying that Isaac did die on the mountain. What we are saying is that there is there was a midrash or a legend that he did die on the on the mountain. That's what we're saying, and the reason we know that that was the case is because the writer of Hebrews actually references that in chapter thirteen, um, chapter eleven, um, verse nineteen. The writer of Hebrews says he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, is is actually referring to this legend, that Isaac did die. And And they came up with that story because Isaac's not mentioned again until long after you, I mean, Abraham's back, comes back down, says, you know, we gotta get a, 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 a girl for Isaac. I want you to go to this land, come back, bring her back. And you got that whole thing with Laban and everything and bringing back Rebecca. And only when she, they approach from afar does she fall off the camel when she sees Isaac. It's interesting. So the, so so the question of what's Isaac been doing all this time and why did she fall off that camel? <laughs> and they put those two things together and go, well, she fell off the camel because she just saw a guy that got raised from the dead. Well, Because he hadn't been anywhere. It also, because in Genesis 24, when Isaac comes back on the scene, verse 62, the other the other verse that they look at there is it says, Now Yitzhak came from, in the English it says, Now Yitzhak came from having gone to Be'er Chairoi, which is right. the well of the seeing one, or the well where the uh, of, the, of the of the the living, the living where the living the living sea where the living sea or so, you know it's got that connotation, but in the Hebrew, because of the prepositions they can be sometimes they can be a little vague. You know, was he coming from, or was he? It, it's almost it, it can be read as if he was coming out of this well. Right. In other words, he was being raised up. He was being raised up from this well. And of course, if you study the well, there's all kinds. No, of yeah, we're not getting you on wells. It's after three. <laughs> so, uh, so that is where you know, there's all these connections. That so, so there's so, so much there that the sages have have jumped on. That there's a story out there that was absolutely well known in the master's day. So the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven seventeen, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the fact of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, figuratively speaking, he did raise him from the dead. What does that mean? That, that what does violates that mean? what this says. We know that. That's why he said figuratively speaking. What he's saying is, I know there's a story out there. And it's like he raised him from the dead. So it's a perfect... No, he's saying it's a perfect picture of Messiah Yeshua. It doesn't have to be true in order to make the point. Right. He's just using it to make the point, which is exactly what he was doing. I'm too literal a person, I guess. No, no, no. I don't think so. You're just careful that we don't say that he did die. And I think that's perfect. Okay. Because you know what? He didn't die. Thank you. He didn't die. For the clarification... But there is... Yeah, but there is a story 
that he did die. I did hear you. And the writer of Hebrews knew it. And he just alluded to it in this same kind of deal. In this area here. I like it. I never noticed that one before. That's good. The point That's is good. that he could have raised him from the dead. Exactly. Right. That's what Abraham knew. Right. Did he have the faith that he was going to provide a ram? Or did he have the faith that he could raise him from the dead? Yes. Either way, he was good with it. The covenant was going to... That's exactly right. The covenant had to come through this kid, and God will make it work. Yeah. Good. That was fun. This is great. I'm tired of sitting down, aren't you? Good Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you so much for the opportunity to pray for Roger. And we look to you now, Father, for your healing. It, you may have done it already. I don't know. Um, you may choose not to do it. I don't know that either. I just know that we, we all do believe that you can heal this man. We really do. And if you should choose to do that, you'll have one, uh, one awesome team cheering for you yet again. And if not, Father, well, then we pray that you would uh, grant uh, health through the physicians as they remove this kidney. I pray, Father, that it doesn't happen to happen. That it doesn't have to happen. Uh, so we'll look at uh, March 7th as maybe just being a, a great, uh, great opportunity to sit down and, uh, and praise the Lord rather than go through surgery with Roger. Father, I thank you for everyone gathered here, especially our guests today. Um, I, I hope we don't come off as, as, uh, as wild and crazy people, but rather people that have been touched by the hand of God, that have a, a very personal relationship and desire to be obedient, that we might please you, not that we might earn any type of salvation, but rather, Father, because you have already provided that salvation, our gratefulness demands an obedient heart. And we look to study your word, that we might be ambassadors for you, obedient sons, rightly dividing the word of truth. Help us, Father to sanctify this day and set it apart as a day for you rather than something to rush through so that we can get back on our own schedule. We thank you for the day and for the rest and for the rest that remains for us as people of God when you send your Son to reign over us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks.